Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Hello, and welcome to Officer Magazine's new podcast that takes a look behind the headlines in this week's news and police and law enforcement. My name is Joe Vince. I am the assistant editor at Officer Magazine, and I'm the guy who's in charge of keeping uh, things under control with our website. With me today is... Lieutenant Frank Varelli, happily retired, sitting in my basement at my desk. It's so much safer here. How are you doing today, Joe? Good. How's your day going? You know, it's Thursday. It could be Monday, so it's always better, right? That's that's a good in that uh, that much closer to Friday, which is that much closer to the weekend. Yes, today is Friday Eve. How about we call it that? I like that. I like that. Well, let's let's jump right into it. Um, the first uh, story we, we'd like to talk about today um, comes in the wake of another um, school shooting tragedy. Um, <clears throat> Yesterday, uh, Wednesday, uh, two high school faculty members in Denver were shot and wounded by a student uh, during a security check. Uh, They were um, doing a check on a student with a history of, um, I believe, problems. They discovered a a firearm and the student um, began shooting. He uh, fled the school uh, and his uh, body was eventually found in a clearing. Um, In the aftermath of this shooting, uh, Denver city and school officials uh, are asking for the return of armed police officers on the campuses of their high schools. Um, In June of 2020, uh, Denver School Board unanimously voted uh, to end its relationship uh, with the De- Denver Police Department um, following uh, the murder of George Floyd. Um, that attitude has now changed. Um, I wanted to get your take on this, uh, Frank. Um, I'm, I'm going to start out with something super controversial here, Joe. Uh, I'd like to point out to all of our readers and listeners that this is one of those stories we get most of our news through syndicated content. This one came from the Gazette out of Colorado Springs, Colorado, and it's their wording that says, uh, you know, the Denver School Board unanimously voted to cut ties with Denver police following the murder of George Floyd. Many officers out here uh, would say murder is a bad word. Uh, It's an incorrect word. It's an inaccurate word. He certainly died in police custody. He may have died as a result of police actions, um, but murder implies an intent that I don't think anybody believes was there. So now that I've pissed off the whole world listening, um, let me let me get into the rest of this part of it. Uh, What did these people think was going to happen? I want to make sure I understand this. The, The Denver School Board voted to cut ties with the Denver police due to an event that didn't happen in Colorado didn't happen in the city or county of Denver, and they were willing to risk every student's life to make a political statement. Well, it it paid off, as anybody with half a brain could have thought it would. In fact, down here in this article, it says there's a a senior student there named Jack, and his words, 
I think the withdrawal a few years ago was a huge mistake. I knew it would lead to something like this, and sure enough, it did. Surprise, 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 right? So here's my thing. Um, we, we have first responders in our country, all the policemen, firemen, deputies, EMS, paramedics, everybody. But they're not the first people on the scene of an event. Uh, we've got a term now called immediate responders. And if you're out in a shopping mall and there's an active shooter starts up and you're there and you're armed as an off-duty officer, as the example, or as a legally armed civilian, um, you're the immediate responder. If you're not escaping, if you're not in a position to, if, if you're duty bound to engage that shooter, you're the immediate responder. If you're sitting in a classroom in college and you're taking a class and somebody comes in to start shooting and you engage them, you are the immediate responder. When we take SROs and deputies and police officers out of schools, especially in those jurisdictions where it's legal to carry a gun, but the school board prohibits faculty and staff from doing so, you've taken every immediate responder out of that scenario. You've taken them out of the environment. And what you've left is a building full of potential victims and targets. And I don't know how these people can do that in good conscience. I don't understand, but I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm glad there was a shooting because heaven forbid, all of them are tragic, but I'm glad that something happened that the school board um, and the city and county came to an agreement that, yeah, we're going to put police officers and deputies back in schools. I'm glad they've realized that making political statements doesn't protect students. And at the end of the day, those students are supposed to be safe in the schools, and we need to make that our best effort. And that doesn't involve telling the police officers you're not welcome here anymore. Um, it's, it's a sad thing they had to learn, but I'm really glad to see it happening. I think uh, what this also um, shows, uh, one of, uh, something else that has been popping up a, a lot across the country lately is the proliferation of swatting incidents at schools um, that now are are putting a lot of students and putting a lot of faculty members on edge, not sure what to believe as far as what threats are. Right. Um, by not having um, officers in the classroom, or I shouldn't even say, in, on the school, on campus, um, it's the same way a, a a officer on patrol knows his his beat, knows the people there, understands what's going on, has a can better know whether or not to treat some of these swatting threats. Many, if not the majority of them, are coming from out of state, are happening because of disgruntled video game players. Um, and are able to evaluate that threat level and then also um, better protect um, students and teachers. And, and I, I think um, that um, there, yeah, there does have to be a sort of this reassessment of that relationship between schools and uh, police departments. You know, I, I think you touched on something really important, and I know we've got other articles to discuss, but the only person in the school who knows what the threats are 
better than the students themselves uh, is or are the adult or adults that those students have faith and have trust and confide in. Um, in, in my area, that is the SROs. They're not mm -hmm. part of the faculty and staff. So they're seen as separate from the school's disciplinary system. Um, and in that way, they can carry some extra trust. And one of the things that this article does mention as mandatory is um, that school boards and, and local law enforcement, whether it's sheriffs or police or whatever, they need to get together and discuss and understand what's uh, an educational matter and what's a police matter. Um, the SROs, while they can assist with educational goals, don't have the authority to change or impact them. Once an emergency situation exists and a threat to life, health and safety exists, then that's a police matter. That's a law enforcement matter. And, and the educational side takes a second seat. Um, and, and I think both parties have to check their ego and understand that for it to work efficiently. Um, I, I was glad to see that statement. Um, I think it was came from somebody from the Aurora police, mm -hmm. uh, Superintendent Munn out there in Aurora. I, I think that's vitally important, something a lot of, of jurisdictions could learn from. So anyway. Uh, one of the... Um the idea of moving um police officers uh out of schools uh has cropped up uh, around the country um as you said you know doing it as as a political statement has been one of the reasons another practical reason behind it has been staffing and what um sheriff's offices and and police departments can actually be able to um practically do as far as uh stretch their um their uh departments right. um and staff shortages are uh, a big problem and retention is a big problem and um now dallas is moving to try to alleviate that by adding um, an extra $40,000 um, to the wallets of uh, some veteran officers who, who agree to stay on um, two extra years. Um, and the goal is that this will um, keep uh i think uh, roughly 70 officers um on the force and um you know help uh for dallas an already um short-staffed agency uh at least for another two years past that date uh still stay uh as strong as they hope to be yeah um you're absolutely right. Staffing, recruiting, and retention is always a big challenge, and uh, it does impact what services agencies can provide or can't. Um, you know, and we read the the article um, that we're discussing. Dallas police officers could earn an extra forty k for working two more years. It's important to understand that um, they have to have been with the agency for twenty eight years already. And to me, this is a huge statement. Uh, there, there are a couple of considerations there. Number one, you're veteran officers, and, and they're, to my way of thinking, once you've been on a police department five years, you're a veteran officer. You've been on the street enough to have seen the ugliest side of, of human life, uh, and, you, and you've had to absorb 
the crap. I mean, we used to, we used to call it sin eating. You, you take all of the mm-hmm. excrement of modern society and you absorb it you, and, and you bury it and you carry it. And uh, you're a veteran at that point. As far as I'm concerned, five years in, you're a veteran. But we're talking about the guys that have been there, done that for a career is 20 years. Now we're talking about another 50% more than that, 28 years. Uh, and then we want them to stay to 30. And when they get to 30, then Dallas will pay them an extra 40 grand before, you know, when they retire. Um, one time lump sum payment. That's nice going out the door. You have to beat a gold watch. Uh, but it gives those officers two more years to have an impact on the culture of the agency. Um, you know, what we used to call the old war horses restoring the luster. Those guys, if if it, if it's worth staying around thirty, then that's a statement to the people that are looking to get out at twenty. Um, that's a statement to the people who do it for two or three, and then they go, oh, "No, this isn't for me." And there's certainly those people that are out there, and those officers that that's a smart decision on their part. Some people aren't meant to be law enforcement. I don't argue that for a minute, but when you look at an agency like Dallas, that's losing essentially 200 officers a year and they have a recruiting goal of 250 uh you know if they come up short they're barely maintaining strength and that's the challenge agencies are seeing all over the country is that they're losing more to retirement than they are getting back in recruiting and let's remember something else it's one day to retire i I can walk in once I've hit my my time and I can retire, I go file my paperwork. It takes the average agency about a week to two weeks to do all of the out processing, return all your gear, turn in all your uniforms, hand in your gun, get your retirement stuff. You're out the door one to two weeks. You hire a recruit. And it's a year. I mean, you have you have an especially for the big agencies, you have the entire application process, the entire processing and background process. You have then and then you you get to go to the academy for six months. Then you have three to six months of FTO training. So replacing that one guy that can leave you with as little as two weeks notice takes a year to year and a half. Um, That's leaving a lot of agencies very short. And this this kind of bonus, I think we're going to see growing in other places. I'm sure other places have done it. This just happens to be the article we saw and we're talking about. And it's the same thing in the military, you know. It's 100% volunteer force. You've got to incentivize people to want to do it. And right now in today's society, um, the the salaries, who cares how much money you make? Quite honestly, who cares if if they paid me a quarter million dollars a year as a police officer, gave me a free car and a house to live in? Is any of that matter if I can get sued next year and lose all of it forever and be a criminal? If, If you can't defend the actions honorably and justifiably of your officers you have no hope of keeping up your recruiting and retention all the money in the world won't help so this 40k is nice but they've also got to make sure they're backing up their officers and defending their honorable and justifiable actions these these people sacrifice day in and day out and if we don't defend that you know the profession is eventually going to sink there's just no other way about it you hit on a good point too about the time it takes for to get a new recruit up and going as opposed to having um an officer already seasoned in that role um I, in fact i just we just uh published a, a story to the site about uh 
Greenfield, Massachusetts, and their department, which just brought on four new recruits. Um, recently, because of staff shortages, they have had to change their overnight patrol shifts so that there is a four-hour gap in coverage that now the state police must take over. Um, and, and the idea was right there is that we have these four new officers, but we don't know when exactly they're going to be ready to uh, help alleviate uh, the scheduling problem. Uh, one question I have for you along those lines. Um, is there a point you talked to the um, these veteran officers are you know going on 30 years of service? Is there a point, and I'm going to compare this to, to professional, like a professional athlete, where um, the once they they hit an age and that's maybe a little, maybe pushing it too far. You, you know. <laughs> You're going out of your way to say there's there come a point where they're not fit to work the street anymore. You know, as being as being an older gentleman, uh, getting the AARP um, uh, mailers now on a regular basis, I feel comfortable. I can I can kind of hit <laughs> hit in that old guy uh, realm. But but yes, yes, that's pretty much it. Joe, you know, in 1995, going on 30 years ago now. All right. I was um, myself then 31 years old, and I looked at an officer that I worked with who was in his early 60s. Um, he was a retired Navy veteran. He had done 20 years in the Navy, which put him in his 40s when he started his police career. And he was trying to get that second retirement. And I don't blame him for a minute, but he did not maintain himself. And the agency he worked for didn't have someplace where he could go into training or he could go into investigations, or he could go into community service. He had to work the street. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There comes a point, but I'm, I'm not sure it's an age, but there does come a point where you're not fit to work the street and you become dangerous to yourself and then to some extent to others. Now I'm saying this. I want everybody who hears this, who says this Pirelli guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Last October marked 40 years for me. I'm 59 as I sit here and we're recording this. I am not in the proper condition, physically, emotionally, or mentally, in my own opinion of myself, to put on a uniform and go work the street. Can I go train? Yes. I've been a training officer for 30 years. I can develop a curriculum and entertain in, in, a, in a classroom and educate people. Easy. No problem. Can I be an administrator? Yes. Can I do investigations? Yes. Can I go out and chase down a crackhead and fight three gang members for my life? Hell no, they're going to win. I'm going to die. That's how that's going to work. And somebody else is going to get hurt trying to save me because I don't have any business being there doing that. Now, we don't know what Dallas is doing with these officers that have been around 28 years. Maybe they're out there on the street. And if they are and they've kept in shape, more power to them. I knew a guy who was 64 years old, who was the chief of police in Illinois, who was the commander of his SWAT team, who passed the SWAT physical and qualifications every year and if you can do that go work the street you can chase down the crackheads and fight the gangbangers i didn't maintain myself like that i like ice cream too much and i sit on sofa and watch too much tv and i enjoy cigars and i think the only thing i have going for me is that i don't drink alcohol but i'm not fit to work the street anymore my own personal opinion um there there's a limit yeah of course there is there's all of us have an expiration date man none of us know when it is 
Well, that uh, I guess leads us into uh, the next topic. Uh, one of our uh, online exclusive stories. Um, when is what are are the considerations as an officer that you should be thinking about when you are getting close to that expiration date or you know what not even the expiration date when for your career but maybe the expiration date for your time at a, a certain department or agency um you know when are what are the 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 flags in your mind that uh, should alert you to say, hey, you know what, it's time for a job or or that, hey, I'm thinking about a job or, or, or another job. Where should my mind be at this case so I make the right decision? You know, it, and, and it is all, all about your mental outlook, I guess. Um, there are officers who become officers purely for the paycheck. Um, and, and those people from day one are counting the days to retirement because it's all about the paycheck. There are, by and large, are probably 99% of the officers, if not more, that don't become officers strictly for the paycheck, but because they have a genuine desire to help people. And there's no expiration date on that. However, there does come a point where people have to think 15, 20, 25 years in, what am I going to do next? And then they, they need to be thinking about that. What you don't want to have happen is you don't want to get to your retirement date and go, well, crap. Um, now, now I'm going to sit here and uh, drink beer and smoke cigarettes and talk about the good old days and, and not be prepared for retirement. Uh, you know, you become grumpy with your family. You become antisocial. Um, both of those statements apply to me simply if I don't drink <laughs> enough coffee. Um, but, you know, there, there is a time and, and it's different for everybody. When you get close to the end of it, you, you need to think about what you want to do and have a plan for what I mean. Are you going to retire, retire and just enjoy life? Are you going to retire and find another job? You need to have those kinds of things figured out. Um, if you're going to have another job, is it going to be full time or part time? Is it going to be in a uniform or not? Uh, do you have the qualifications for what you want to do? I knew a guy who wanted to teach college when he finished working, you know, when he retired from police work. Uh, and he, in the last probably five years he worked, he went to school part-time so that he could get the degree he needed so that he could make that transition. He planned ahead five years. Take me as the example, not that I'm anybody's great example, but I knew I retired once in October of 07, knowing full well I wasn't going to sit around and do nothing. I was only 43 years old. I had plenty of years left to work. Um, so I started planning in 1999 to transition into what I do now in publishing and media and writing. Um, and when you look at that, that was an eight-year plan. And then even knowing that I had done that, I went into training for another agency. And uh, knowing on the day that I started that, that I was only going to do it for 15 years. I had a set goal of it wasn't that I wanted to do 40 years in uniform. It was that by the time I was 60, I no longer wanted to be responsible for public safety. I wanted to be responsible for the safety of me and my friends and my family, my immediate area, not having any responsibility to respond. I'm not saying I wouldn't today. I probably still would feel driven to, but I don't have that responsibility anymore legally or by duty, if that makes sense. You, you mm -hmm. got you to think ahead. You got to plan to make sure you're financially straight. 
make sure you know what your finances are going to be, what you retire. Most most people retire, especially if they live in a state that doesn't tax retirement, make more money after they've retired than they did while they were working. So it, it's not a big challenge to be financially stable. Still, financial advisors are very helpful because they think about things you don't. And your family needs to know what your plans are. And I'm, I'm going through this kind of, uh, you know, the way the article said it. And because we're going to run out of time before too terrible long, um, your family, you have to communicate with them. You have to keep them in the loop. The last thing you want to have happen, I'll give you the example. My father was a lawyer and then uh, he, he was appointed to the district court as a judge. And as a lawyer, he worked six days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day. As a judge, he worked four eight-hour days and one half a day. And he had a plan. And his plan involved spending all kinds of time with me. I At the time, I was 13 years old. And we were going to learn how to play golf together. And we were going to go do this together. And we were going to go do that together. The challenge was he didn't really communicate any of that to me before it happened. So when he decided we were going to go play golf every Wednesday when I got home from school, not only did I not know it, I never, ever had any desire to play golf and I truly sucked at it. So it wasn't any fun. Um, you know, it would have been good if I had known about his plans maybe before he hit me in the head with a golf club, not literally, but you know what I'm saying? Oh. You, you, you've got to, you've got to plan ahead. You've got to communicate your plans to those who impact your day and whose day you impact. And you've got to be realistic about it. I mean, when you when you've done the same thing for so long, to think you can just walk away from it, and not miss it at all, is, is pure silliness. There there are certainly people cynical enough they walk away and they're thankful to be gone. They're thankful to be out of it. Uh, I tell you point blank, I miss every day, putting on a uniform, answering calls, going and helping people, knowing that I can have an impact, and then the cool part, never knowing the true impact you have. Um. You, you never know all the good you do. And, and I have a limited opportunity for that compared to what I used to or a different opportunity, but you got to plan ahead. So, sorry, that was, that's the rant on that. And we have uh, like six minutes and we're going to run out of time. Well, real quick, let's, we could just, we'll wrap this up here with um, what I'll fall under the uh, unusual story so far of the week um, was a, uh, oh, a, what I'll call a daring uh, high-rise rescue from the 31st floor of a building in um, in Midtown Manhattan in New York City, um, a uh, NYPD emergency service unit officer had to rappel down the side to um, uh, I. I guess I'll use the word rescue a uh, a, a fugitive um, that the FBI uh, wanted who decided his best way out of this raid was um, dangling off outside that window and threatening to jump. Um, I'll just ask point blank, closest thing you've ever come to having to make a 30, uh, first story uh, uh, rescue or arrest uh, never, in your never ever, ever have I been that high. I was involved <laughs> in an elevator incident, 16 stories up, but that's okay. hardly as daring. I mean, you're not going to fall out of an elevator and, and fall 16 stories. Um, I had to talk a guy off a bridge who was trying to commit suicide, but that bridge was really only about 50, 55 feet up. That's about five stories, maybe. I've never done anything like this, Joe, not in my career. Um, 
I am I tip my hat to New York's emergency service guys. They're ESU. Thirty-one floor is out a window. Now understanding we 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 limit risk, right? It's repelling. It's it's uh, tied off. It's it's um, you know the the um, the harnesses are secure. People rock climb and and repel that high for fun for recreation. But what they don't do is do that to arrest somebody wanted by the FBI, a fugitive who's threatening to jump. Now, I got to tell you, and I can get away with it. Somebody somewhere was thinking, okay, jump. I mean, somebody somewhere, as inappropriate as it may have been, was thinking, you're going to save us a whole lot of time and trouble. The taxpayers aren't going to pay for a trial. We're going to pay for the mop-up and the, and the, the medical examiner. We got all kinds of witnesses. So all you take the nosedive. Uh, but instead, and that's an unprofessional way of thinking. I'll, I'll admit that right up front. Instead, you got NYPD's emergency services guy risking their lives. At least two of them, a minimum of two. One guy went out on, on the rappel and the other guy that was there to be his, his ombelay or his support guy, his, his cover. This guy goes out on the building to come in a window to, to get the FBI fugitive kicked back into the window. Now he's he's got we've got to get this guy handcuffed and everything else. I tip my hat, whoever that officer was, that is one of the most badass things I've ever seen anybody do. And I know guys who were in helicopters, guy way back when the when the plane crashed into the 14th Street Bridge in DC in the wintertime, they were in dry suits getting ready to go in and save people who were drowning in that ice cold water. That was badass. This guy, I tip my hat to him. Good job to NYPD and ESU professionalism, risk management, and, and being willing to do what it takes to serve a citizen who a whole lot of society would have said didn't wasn't worth saving. But God, God help him, God speed to him. Congratulations to him. They did a good job. Absolutely. And um, I think that is a good note to end with. Um, by really saying uh, this goes out to everyone listening is uh, just stay safe out there. And uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, our inaugural episode and uh, keep checking back each week for this. Thanks, Joe. Thank-, Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.